Hey everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hill Spring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. Hey, I'm glad you guys are here today. We're going to talk real fast about uh, part of the book of Mark, but real, I just want to, I want to just be open and transparent with you about a few things. And so, like, I, I know that you guys are all, like, super Christians in this room, and you love the Lord with all your heart, and so, and like, I, I'm, I'm so happy about that. Most of you probably love God more than I, than I love God, and so I'm just going to confess this to you so you know who I am. I and my wife, I'm going to make sure she's a part of this, we love trash TV, all right? Like, that's, that's, what, we, that's what we watch, all right? Some of you guys are like 24-7, TBN, praise the Lord, sermons all day, people. I love that for you, but I love pro wrestling, okay? And, and I'm not saying that's trash TV. Actually, that's very, very elite TV. But what, what I would say is, I love Thousand Pound Sisters. Like, that's my show, okay? Um, 90 Day Fiance. Like, that's, that's me. I, I, love, I love that. I'm going to be honest. If you, if you went to my YouTube TV and you saw my, my library, you were going to see hours of Judge Judy locked in there, all right? And I have spent hours watching Judge Judy. I don't know if she's trash TV or not, but I, I love that woman. I would marry her if I could, but I'm, you know, anyways. Uh, so... For the money, obviously, anyways. And so one of the things, though, is I got obsessed, ironically, with a show called Obsessed on um, a and all right? And I don't know if you guys have ever seen the show. This show is a, uh, it's really about people who, who they're obsessed with something. So, like, maybe they're OCD, and so they wash their hands a lot. Maybe that's their obsession. One obsession was a, a guy who fell in love with his cat and was obsessed with his cat and, in fact, married his cat. And, and like, that was... That was his obsession. Maybe, maybe you sit there today. We'll pray for you. That's good. But like that, that was their, their thing. And, and I started to think about my own life. And, and, and I'm the kind of person that I, I do get obsessed with things, all right? Like, I, like if I like something, I, like I eat that thing every day, right? If, if, if it's a song, I listen to that song on repeat until I hate the song. Like that's, that's my world. That's how, I, that's how I live. And I was thinking about one of the things that I've always been kind of obsessed with and, and to be honest with you, it's not healthy, and, and I'm just going to confess to you today, I've become very, very obsessed with these things called online auctions, okay? Online auctions. Anyone ever done an online auction in the room? Okay, yeah. And so you can get online and you can order memorabilia or, or whatever you want. So like some of you guys, you might like, you like baseball cards. And so you might go and order baseball cards or, 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 or gear from like a, a sports team or, or something like that. So when, when I found out that there was such a thing as an online auction, I, what, I, what I ended up doing was I found out that, this is just who I am, I found out that they sold pro wrestling autographs, all right? And they sold them for not a bad price. And so I would get on there and, and I would start um, buying these things up. And, and if you know how an auction works, I, I think most of you do, but if you, you know how an auction works, on the online version of it, what ends up happening is you have a certain window of time, four or five hours, to bid on that thing. And then when the time's up, whoever had the highest bid takes it. That's, that's how the auction itself works. And so that's what I got really obsessed with. Because not only do I love wrestling, but I'm also very, very competitive. And I don't like when somebody outbids me on something, okay? And so 
just to be honest, the wrestling autographs, some of them were high priced, but they weren't awful, okay? And so I thought, well, we're good. Problem is, I started to notice there were other things you could buy in these online auctions that were maybe a little bit more expensive than than an autograph. And so I'm going to tell you, I got obsessed with ordering and buying in lots of different ways, um, uh, WWF title belts, okay? Now, now, uh, this bad boy is authentic, all right? And so, you know, I don't know what you would think a cost of this would be, but whatever you think the cost of it is, it's probably a little bit more, all right? And, and so I remember bidding for this bad boy and looking and trying to find it. And, and, and so this is the title belt I wanted. And so, so I got into the auction and we started bidding and it was like the bidding war and, and it went for more than it probably should have went for, but I got very competitive because honestly, honestly, the pursuit is almost as fun as getting the actual item, right? Like sometimes it's just that, that fight. And so I, I got this and I thought, man, this is, this is it. This is, this is Stone Cold Steve Austin's belt. This is The Rock's belt. Like this, this is what I want. I don't, I don't need any, I don't need any more. This is, this is good. And then I found another one. And so I, I um, got this belt which would be Dusty Rose, Ric Flair's belt. I mean, this is the big gold belt. This is an incredible. Now, it's burning your eyeballs right now. I know the light's hitting it, and you're, well, I get that, okay? And you might think, hey, Matt, like, what would these go for? Again, um, <clears throat> some mortgage payments even. But um, they're, they're, just kidding, it's not that. But these are, like, can I be honest? My house catches fire. These two things go before Cassie, all right? I'm grabbing these first. Um, it's just how the, the way it's going to work for us. And, and so I, I, I love these things. And, and I would kill you if you even came and touched them, okay? I mean, these are, these are, the, these are important things for me. And, and so I thought, okay, these two, I'm done. They're, they're, they're a couple hundred dollars, maybe a little more than that. But this is, I'm done after this. Then I found another one. And, and here's the deal. This was the belt that I wanted for a really, really long time. It's one of the newer title belts. Some of you guys are like, what, the, what are we talking about? Just stay with me. I wanted this belt really bad. Found it. I got onto a bidding uh, war. The, war uh, like, the time frame was like two or three hours. And someone had put the belt that I wanted online for 100 bucks. And I thought, man, I might be able to get this thing for less than $200. I made a point in my brain that I will only spend $200 on this belt. That's all I'm going to spend. Then again, people start bidding on it, and like, this is a couple hours worth of bidding that people were going for, and like, did I take off work to make sure I got this bid? Yes, I, I did, um, it's part of it, but I, I just went back and forth with this guy. He, he, he would bid a little bit more, I'd bid a little bit more, and we just kept going. Now, again, I had a $200 cap, definitely blew past that one pretty fast, okay, but, but kept going a little bit, and when it came down to the final seconds, he threw a bid in but I already calculated that bid, and I threw one more in front of him, all right? And when it hit zero, I won that title belt, all right? It was, like, I should have got a championship for winning that title belt. I became very, very obsessed with online auctions. Here's the problem. I didn't become obsessed with the online auction terms and conditions. And so, at the end of the day, 
$275 afterwards, I got a belt in the mail. Now, I wanted this belt. I, I, I wanted it. But I didn't necessarily read the fine print of the belt, and this is the belt that <laughs> I got right here. You can get this belt at Walmart for $19.99. I just said, why don't we pay $275 for it, okay? Why don't we wish shipping and handling? And so this is... This is what I got. Now, I'm not going to lie, I was angry for a little bit, but afterwards, I just thought about, man, aren't those kind of things, like, <laughs> I'm going to make a really bad transition here. These are the pursuits. Like, I love getting in that. I love the competitive nature of it. I love trying to get after it. I love trying to win the bell. I love trying to get involved with that stuff. I'm very competitive when it comes to these kind of things. And honestly, when you get something like this, like when I first got my first belt, incredible. I was so proud and excited about it. Here, here's what I'm gonna talk about today. This is the weird transition. I wanna talk real fast about those mountaintop experiences. I wanna talk about how when you finally get what you're looking for, how it feels. Have you guys ever had a mountaintop experience in your life? Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like maybe you were on a trip or, or maybe, maybe you were gone somewhere or, or I, don't, I don't know what it was. Like something happened and it was this amazing experience that you just, you can go back to that moment. You can think of every detail, this mountaintop experience. If you've been in church for any length of time, then you've probably had one with the Lord as well. Like I think about camps and I think about things like that. There's people who, they have these experiences with God where God just tangibly shows up in their life. God just moves in their heart in such a way that they know it was God. That it wasn't based on a feeling or it wasn't based on necessarily a circumstance, but they just knew God was in the middle of that moment. That's a mountaintop experience. And they're incredible. And when you have one, man, it just feels great. But here's the deal. And the whole point of today that I wanna talk about is that mountaintop experiences are great, but we're not meant to live there. Mountaintop experiences are great, but we're not meant to stay there. We're not meant to live in those places. Maybe in your life, God moved. And, and you've kind of just made this memorial in your brain of this is when God did something. Like, I know I love God more then than I do now. And you're always going back to those mountaintop experiences. I, I want to let you know that most of your life is not going to be mountaintop experiences at all. It's going to be walking the normal road that this life has to offer. The Bible talks about how God shows up on mountains a lot. In the Old Testament, you, you hear a lot of different examples. Let me give you two. First, a guy named Moses. You guys have heard Moses' story. He was the great leader of Israel, led them out of slavery, crossed the Red Sea, brought them close to the promised land, brought them through the wilderness, did all, all these crazy, incredible things. If you know Moses' story... Moses went to the top of a mountain and God spoke to Moses and God gave him the law, the Old Testament. He gave him the Ten Commandments on these, on these rock tablets. He, he gave them the law. He spoke to God and God spoke to him. The book of Deuteronomy says that they, they talked to each other like they were friends. This is an experience with God, right? Or you can think of like Elijah. Elijah, one of the prophets in the, in the Old Testament. The Bible tells us that he had kind of a showdown with the worshipers of Baal, a foreign god. And, and they, they came on the top of a mountain and they built these altars. And you guys have heard the story. And, and they were crying out to Baal. The worshipers of Baal were crying out saying, we, bring the fire down, consume the altar. And it never happened. And then Elijah, he, he 
prays a prayer, and God sends fire from heaven, consumes the whole altar. God showed up in that moment. That's a mountaintop moment. What I love about the Bible, I think, though, is Moses and Elijah especially. They experienced God in a way that you and I never have. I'm going to assume that you haven't asked God to call down fire and it actually happened. I'm gonna assume that hasn't happened in your life. I'm gonna assume that you haven't face-to-face talked with the Lord in your life. Moses and Elijah, they did. Their experiences with God were different than ours. And I love the Bible because of how real it is because the Bible tells you that they had these experiences with God. Their lives were changed, but they still fell into sin. They were close to the Lord and they still fell into sin. Moses didn't get to enter into the promised land. Elijah, he, he, his life, he, he had this amazing moment on the mountain and then the next day he wanted to kill himself. These are stories that we, we go through. And so why does any of this matter? Again, um, mountaintop experiences, they're, they're really good, but they're, they're not meant for you to stay there. They're faith builders, but they're not meant for you to dwell there forever. Can I just be blunt level honest? The feelings you had at Falls Creek when you were a teenager that you don't feel like you have anymore today, that was a moment, that was a mountaintop, but you weren't meant to live there. The, most of the time, I think we confuse mountaintop experiences with just kind of tradition. Well, God would move if we sang more hymns here. God would move if, if, if Brent wore a suit every Sunday. God would move if we, if we read out of the King James Version. Is that how he moves? No. Mountaintop experiences, they're great, but they're not meant to be a place that we stay in. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to Mark chapter 9, and we're just going to run through this. Is everyone good today? Everyone happy? Okay, let's keep it going. Hey, by the way, Charles Page had some graduates last night. Why don't you give them a round of applause? Mark chapter 9, verse 2. We've been in the book of Mark for 20 weeks. I think there's only 16 chapters in Mark, so our math really got off for a little bit. Mark chapter 9, verse 2. Here we go. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. Those names are important, Peter, James, and John. And he led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. Transfigured, if you look in, there's some wordplay there, but basically he was transformed, metamorphosis, he he was transformed in front of them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we're here. Let's make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. He was scared to death. He just started talking. Verse 7, and a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud and said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. Just for for context's sake, where we're at in this story, Jesus had fed the 5,000. There was walking on water. Then we go into the next chapter, and you you see the story of of Jesus and Peter. And Peter affirms that he is the Christ. He confesses that, that Jesus is the Messiah, the coming one, the anointed one. And then just a few sentences later, we see that Jesus rebukes Peter because Jesus tells his disciples, hey, I'm, I'm gonna leave. I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna be here much longer. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna die. And, and Peter said, no, not, not you. We're not, gonna let that, we're not gonna let that happen. And he said, get behind me, Satan. And then just a little bit later, we see going up the mountain, Peter, James, and John to see this incredible moment on this mountain. They think it's Mount Hermon. 
and they're on this incredible mountain. Jesus shows up in all his glory. Moses and Elijah show up. It's this incredible moment. The, one, of the, one of the gospels says, is as they were talking, they were talking about how Jesus would depart. The word depart there in the Greek is actually the word, it's the word exodus out of Hebrew. It's, it's incredible. There's a word play even in that, that they're talking about what Jesus was going to do. And then out of nowhere, God himself shows up and speaks the words, this is my son, listen to him. So what does the transfiguration story mean for you and me today? If you have your notes, we're gonna take just three things down. Number one, it, it means this, it means that it's the transfiguration story shows us God's glory. Shows us God's glory. How do you define God's glory? How do you define what that is, if you grew up in church, if you, if you, especially if you grew up in Pentecostal church like, like I did, you heard about the Shekinah glory of the Lord. Like, what, is that, what does that mean when we have an omnipresent, omnipotent, eternal God who speaks things into creation? How do you define what his glory really could be? How, how, do, you, how do you put that into actual words, what glory means? Like, how do we even imagine what that is? A couple, couple weeks ago, Cassie and I, we, we sat down and, and I just, it was one of our days off. And so we just, we, I made her watch the old Star Wars movies, to be honest, all right? So the, the original trilogy, right? The, like the Luke Skywalker, like I made her go through those. Now, some of those were, were made in like the, I think the 70s, right? The 70s into the 80s. And so I think it's, we can be confident enough in saying that, you know, the special effects probably weren't that great in the 70s, Right? Most of them were high, and so it was just they didn't know how to, how to put it together, right? That's probably what was going on. And so they, they, they put these movies out, and we watched them, and, and to be honest, they're pretty, they could be a little cheesy, right? They, they could be a little, little different. A little bit later, Cassie and I went and watched the, the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, the, the latest one, all right? And if you would try to compare the special effects, right, of Star Wars and Guardians of the Galaxy, two different, completely different levels, Right? Like, you can watch this Guardians of the Galaxy movie and just be enthralled by the imagery. Like, all the things that they can do with the computers, all the things that they can do with all the, the rendering and the three. Like, it's amazing if you watch it. It's incredible how, how realistic it looks and how, and how like, it just, it's amazing to see. But, you know, you know what's weird? Maybe it's not weird, but you know what's incredible to me? You can go and watch these huge blockbuster movies with all this money put into these special effects and all this incredible imagery. But if we're honest in this room, it really can't even compare to one of those like super nice spring days. You know the days where you don't have to take any Claritin, right? Where, where, where the weather's just right and the sun is starting to set, you hear the, like, and that sunset that you see in the sky, that just kind of stops you, right? Or maybe, maybe for, I mean, early people that it's in the morning you get up and you're, you're going to your car and you just see the glory of God shining in the sky when he makes those, sun, those sunrises happen. Like the, those don't compare to these movies. Why? Because God's the ultimate creator and that you can spend billions and billions of dollars on all these effects or whatever you want to do, but it can't touch what God creates just with his hands himself. What is the glory of God? I think it's those things. What is the glory of God? I, I think it's, going into that nursery and seeing these little kids with their hands in the air worshiping Jesus 
understanding that they're their Imago Dei, that they, they're the image bearer of Christ, that they, that they are they're known by God. That's the, the glory of a, of a six-year-old confessing Jesus. I, I, think, it's, I think it's in this room. When, when we come in here together and, and, and we're struggling and we're in good places and we all come together and we sing praises to Jesus, I think, I think that's probably the glory of, of God, or at least parts of it. And so in this story, what we see is Jesus peels back the layer. He's 100% God, 100% man, but his glory shines through. And I think it's a reminder to us that, again, this world is not it. That what Jesus was on the planet, though it was incredible, that wasn't who he was fully. That when he would open up, when he would show who he truly was, that was the glory of God. The Bible tells us in the book of Matthew that the righteous will shine like the sun. That there's coming a day when, you know, the Bible tells us that our life is a vapor. It's very small. That eternity's coming. And that when we get into eternity, everything changes with our new bodies, new heavenly bodies. That all of the creation around us, we weren't made for it. It was made for us that the heavens are our playground, that the earth is subdued, that this, is, this world isn't it, that there's a future glory. And I think that's what Jesus was trying to show them in this story. And there's so much of this world that wants you to focus on the now. And there's so much of the Bible that says focus on the future. These present sufferings can never compare to the glory that is to come. And that's the gospel. And so let's think about it. Who's up there with the mountain? It's Jesus. But you have Moses and you have Elijah. Moses, who would represent the law. The Old Testament, he'd represent the law, the Levitical law, the, the, the law, the covenant. Oh, he would represent those, that part. Then you have Elijah, who would represent the, the prophets. Elijah was a great prophet. And then Jesus, kind of here in the middle of all of it, really is a symbol of that Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets, the perfect fulfillment of all of the Old Testament. Here's, just, I love you, here's what the Old Testament is. It's a pointer towards Jesus, right? All of the Old Testament is just pointing towards the Son of God. It's just pointing towards who he was. David and Goliath's story is the story of Jesus, right? Esther's story is the story of Jesus. The story of Joshua is the story of Jesus. These are all just foreshadows and shadows of what Jesus would do. He's the perfect fulfillment of the law and the prophets all together. And that's why we see those two up there with them. Everyone still good? Can we keep going? Number two, story shows God's grace. Story shows God's grace. Story of the transfiguration is a story of grace, but it's also a story of hope with that. I want you to think about, again, this story and, and who's there. We have Peter, we have James, and we have John. Just, just by the way, Peter, James, and John are up there on the mountaintop. You also see Peter, James, and John in the garden, Gethsemane, with Jesus in some of his worst moments. Just for all my teenagers in the room, it's important who you go with. And it's important to know who's up there on the mountain with you and who's there in the valleys with you. But we have Peter, James, and John. And again, we talked about this a little bit ago, but Peter, just like days before, was rebuked by Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, get behind me, Satan. And then just a few days later, he's up on the mountain with Jesus. I think this is a picture of grace and mercy for you and I, that you haven't screwed up as bad as you think you have. 
that he isn't angry at you at all points, that he's not rejected you at all points, that he doesn't want do-overs with you at all points. Like, he loves you today. The story of Peter is that he keeps screwing up over and over and over, and yet Jesus keeps welcoming him back into the fold. He used Peter after he even denied him. He, he, he used Paul after he was persecuting the church. He could probably use you and me as well. Amen? Let's do one more. You guys got one more in you? Number three, and we're going to get out of here. Transfiguration shows us God's governance. It shows us God's governance. I love in this story because Jesus is up there, his glory shining about, and God himself speaks from the heavens. He says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. It's interesting in this verse that this is really the last time God the Father speaks in the Bible. The rest of it, he speaks through Jesus. So this is really the last time that God himself, he speaks something. This is my son. Don't look at Moses anymore. Don't look at Elijah. This is my son. Don't get confused that if you work your way, you'll get to heaven. That's not it. Don't get confused that maybe if you just do all these right things, then you'll make it. No. He says, look at my, look at my son. That's what he's saying in this story. Look, look at him. And again, this is one of the last times that God the Father speaks. And, and in fact, in his really last type of sermon, he's pointing to Jesus and showing everyone who Jesus was. And I think it, like in an age that we're in that tries to excuse away the things of God, that tries to just make Jesus what we need him to be, like, like we, we can call it buffet-style versions of Jesus, right? Like, you know, like, after this, you're going to go to Mazio's and, and get in that buffet line, and you're going to save some for me. Like, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Like, you're, you're going to go, and, and you're going to pick what you like and what you don't like. Sometimes I think we approach Jesus that way, right? Like, like we, we say, hey, I love the love parts of Jesus where he says, love your neighbor. I'm there. Like, I, yes, let's do this. I love when Jesus says that, um, that I, I am the perfect image of God. Like, I, I love the good sayings of Jesus. I love when he's nice and when he's kind and when he's really benevolent. But then there's these times where Jesus says, hey, what are you doing with your money? I don't want that part. I'll, I'll leave that one here, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like, like, like when he says, if you look with, at a woman with lust in your eyes, it's like adultery in your heart. I don't want that part. Hold back from that. When he looks at the Pharisees, the religious people, the people who have been in church their whole lives, and he says, you are dead inside. Even though you can quote scripture, you're dead inside. Oh, I don't want that one. I don't know, that's not the Jesus I want. And so we approach him with what we want out of him. But that's not Jesus at all. I'm scared to death that you and me have created an image of Jesus that is not Jesus at all. That we've made a false idol of a very kind Jesus that doesn't have anything to say about the sins in our life. And it will destroy you if you don't follow the true Jesus of the Bible. Amen? Matthew's gospel account of this story, he talks about two mountains. There's a lot of mountains in, in the book of Matthew. But he talks about two high mountains. The first high mountain was the one that Jesus was on when he's being tempted by Satan. And then the second high mountain he talks about is this one, at the Transfiguration Mountain. 
Mount Hermon. And I, as I was thinking about this, I thought, man, is that not kind of symbolic of our lives? Like all of us kind of in the middle between two big mountains, between temptation and transfiguration? Is that not what life is? There's some days where we run towards temptation. There's some days where we run towards Jesus. That's, I feel like that's life. Maybe that's my own life, but I feel like that's all of us. And that's the, the valley that we, that we live in. I think about how much of us, like we want a mountaintop experience. I'm, I'm gonna try something again that might not be good for any of us, but I'm gonna try it, all right? I'm definitely afraid of heights. I just need you to know this. But so, oh Lord, already, it's already getting there. I'm not scared, I'm just fat. That's the issue right now. So many of us, so many of us, we, we wanna be on the mountain. I wanna be up here. I wanna be able to tangibly feel God in everything that I do, at all points of what I do. God, I need you to tell me the next step right now. Keep me on the mountain. That's not what God does, right? A lot of us were in the valley. A lot of us are in a place that we didn't want to be. See, we can't live on the mountain. There, there's no, no food, no water, there's no shelter. You actually have to go down the mountain to get those things. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, you're in a valley because God's wanting to show you some things. Maybe, just maybe, you haven't been able to take any steps forward because God's trying to get you to take that one step that he called you to do a while ago. Why, why would God use, why would God use somebody so full of sin and brokenness that's not repentant of their sins to move his kingdom forward? He wants to teach you some things in the valley. Can I be honest with you? Like, like realistically, there's, there really is value in the valleys. There's things to learn. And so while we strive and we want to get to the mountain, and the mountain's good, the mountaintop's great, it builds faith, it's not where you're supposed to stay. Some of you guys are looking for, a, for an experience that God doesn't have for you right now. Because he wants you to work on yourself. He wants you to work on that, that pride you have. He wants you to work on that lying part of you. He, want, he wants you to work on the jealousy. He wants you to work on the gossip, the lust. There's value in these valleys. My wife and I, we had some mountaintop moments. We were so excited when she got pregnant the first time. We were excited when she got pregnant the second time. Right now we're in a valley. But it didn't kill us. I think God's teaching us some things there. The Bible tells us as it goes on that when Jesus, or when, when the cloud overshadowed him and God spoke, that Jesus was there with him. That Jesus is in there on the top of the mountain and at the bottom of the valley with him. That you can't escape him. Even though I walk, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. The Bible tells us that they started to go down the mountain. Today, maybe instead of looking to go to the mountaintop, maybe it's time to keep going down the mountain a little bit more. 
Bible tells us that as they went down the mountain, they actually, they, come in, they came into contact with a, a, a demon-possessed person. I thought, how's my mother-in-law in the, in the Bible? But They come in contact with a demon-possessed person. And the disciples can't, the disciples can't, can't get the demon to be released. Jesus comes down there and he speaks and the demon's released. The disciples come up and say, hey, Jesus, why, why could we not, why could we not do it? Like, why could we not cast the demon out? He says, these only come out through prayer and fasting. Maybe, maybe what you're dealing with, maybe what you're struggling with today, you've been working at it for a long time, you've been praying about it, but maybe you haven't taken the sacrifice of actually stepping into prayer and fasting over it. That's not just a little thing we do in January and August. That can happen every day. came down the mountain because mountaintop can't live there can't get anything done up here so when we come down the mountain when we find value in those valleys that God shows up and I'm going to ask you today what's he trying to teach you what's he trying to work in your heart I know what he's trying to do in my heart what's he trying to do in your heart don't despise the valley. Sometimes it's where God works the most. Everyone's head bowed and eyes closed across this room. You and me for a second. If you don't know who Jesus is, you've been here, you've heard the, the story, maybe it's your first, second, third, I don't know how many times you've been here, but you heard the story of Jesus and, and it just hasn't resonated with you until really this moment. I need you to hear today that God didn't bring you here for just some kind of random day. He brought you here because he wanted you to hear the word of God. Not, he didn't want you to hear Matt Barnett. He wanted you to hear the word of God because that's the only thing that can change your heart. And maybe you need to know who he is. There's a very, I'm not trying to scare you. I just have to love you enough to tell you the truth that there's a very real eternity waiting for you and for me. A place called heaven and a place called hell. No one likes to talk about it, but it's there. And today God's given you grace to make a decision on what you wanna do with your eternity. The Bible tells us if we confess with our mouth, we believe in our hearts that we can be saved. Right now, some of you are sitting there thinking, well, I'd like God to use me, but I'll do it when I, when I graduate. Or I'll do it when I, when I quit drinking. I'll do it when I, when I, quit, when I quit smoking. I'll, I'll do it when I quit doing these things. No, he just says, come to me. We'll, we'll, we'll work on those things. Come to me. You can't clean yourself up enough to be right in God's eyes. You need Jesus to do it for you. The Bible tells us he went to a cross with nails in his hand and in his feet. He died a sinner's death that you and I could live a life in eternity. And all you have to do is give your life to him. I'm not gonna lie to you either. The Bible says count the cost. If you want Jesus in your heart, he's, he's not coming for half of it. He wants all of it. That is the best possible life you could have. I'm gonna pray a prayer. If you wanna give your life to Jesus today, very simple. You can pray this prayer in your brain. You can pray it, you can pray it out loud. I don't care what you do. You can pray it out loud however you wanna do it. Here's the prayer. Father God, I pray today that you would forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me of my mistakes. God, I don't even know what some of these words mean, but I ask you to be the Lord of my life. I know you died on a cross. I know you're raised from the dead. 
and I'm trusting you here today. In your name I pray. Amen. With everyone's head bowed and eyes closed, just you and me for a second. If you pray that prayer for the first time, I'm not going to embarrass you, but if you pray that the first time, I just need you to slip up a hand. I just need you to slip up a hand. I see that hand. I just need you to just hold it up high so I can see you, so I can make sure that I see who's here. All right. God, we love you and we thank you. God, we thank you for the person who gave their life to Jesus here today. And we're believing in faith that, God, you're going to move and you're going to work. God, for the rest of us, Lord, help us to find value in our valleys and not just live for the mountaintops. God, we love you. Oh, God, we thank you. It's in your name I pray. And everybody said, I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way, you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the globe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.